Stephanie, Patrick just told me that he's not sure what the lines are in our relationship, if we're in a monogamous relationship or not. And homie fucking rearranged every memory that he's ever had. And apparently he's not clear or not if we're in a, if we're in some kind of serious relationship with each other. <laughs> he said he just wants to, I had a vivid dream last night that he was cheating on me, that he was texting some other fucking chick and I found out about it and I was so hurt and I was so upset. And I tell him today, like it's some crazy thing. Hey, yeah, we wouldn't believe the dream I had. And he goes, oh, well, I guess we need to get clear about what the, rule, the rules are or where the lines are in the, the fuck? I, <laughs> I don't know, something about having two kids, the business and a life to you. I don't know. Yeah, it gets, it gets a little unclear. <laughs> that you wouldn't be fucking hitting up other people for sex. This is what I'm telling you. We are culturally malnourished as white people. We are literally culturally malnourished. And because of so long of like not having traditions besides the ones that our parents did mechanically, you know, our parents took vows that didn't fucking mean anything to them. You know, so many of us have parents that divorced and stuff like that or went to church mechanically that like we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater we say okay well I'm never going to get married or I'm never going to do this or do these significant rites of passage and as a result you're four fucking years into a relationship with someone that says oh yeah I think we should probably get clear about what the lines are what the lines are what the lines are excuse do I look like fucking coleslaw to you homie you don't get I'm not a fucking side dish I'm not fucking coleslaw I'm not no this is, now I'm pissed. And he says, oh, well, we should have this conversation. Really? Because I'm going to work in three minutes. I have a feeling that you're going to get spit roasted for three months, not fucking sort this out in three minutes. Kuto, I don't see a ring that I didn't buy myself. I don't see a ring that I didn't buy myself. I don't recall having any kind of ceremony. I said, we've been talking about getting married. Yeah, blood married. You know what? Maybe what this homie needs is good old fashioned government marriage. <laughs> You know, but like, wow. and it's true. It is my, like he and I have talked about so many things because the erotic principle is something that we discuss a lot. And, um, and you know, the erotic principle is like, yeah, it's not about doing the thing. It's about being allowed to do it. And to put this in the most mundane terms, like women, especially, you're probably forbidding yourself to wink to certain things. Like I'm going to go and get a massage on Saturday and you better believe that whoever Brianna is, is not going to be Brianna on the massage table. I'm going to imagine this to be my ravishing date of the night. Cause if I'm going to get slicked up and rubbed from coast to coast, I'm going to get my mental game on with that, you know, like 110 bucks, homie, happy. And then, oh yeah, just give me a minute. If I want to have a big wank on the massage table when I'm done, do you give me a happy ending and all that weird? And I'll take care of myself, homie. You just lubed me up for an hour. You know, I'm good to go. You brought your hot stones out. Like, hell yeah. Um, so you can wank to whatever you want without having to ask anybody permission without worrying that like, because you're wanking to somebody that you're not in a relationship with, 
that it's bad. You know, there's an insecurity a lot of women have when their boyfriends watch a lot of porn. It's like, you know, you're jerking off to her and not me. Therefore, you want to be with her and not me. So the erotic principle, like to put it in, if you wanted to start applying this to your life, would just be like, wink to whatever you want with zero guilt, never explain it to anybody and don't take it too seriously. And a lot of us, um, a lot of women and, but I'd say that this hits men a little bit harder, have um, just because of the amount of porn that it seems men, like women, we see something in a porn and then we're like, okay, well, let's try that and it hurts. So for 50% of us, we're like, you know, those of us who have the stronger, um, you know, connections to ourselves will be like, oh, that hurts. I don't really want to do it. But when I watch girl on girl porn, like that looks really fun because, you know, what are they doing? Oh, they're licking each other's nipples. They're scissoring. They're actually paying attention. They're not just getting pounded out doggy style. All going like, ah, you know, like, because it doesn't look like it feels good and your body knows that it doesn't feel good. Um, but it's really easy to get a complex about something and you say, oh, just because I wank to it, that must be what I'm into. And a lot of times there's a kink or something that you're afraid that you have. And uh, I'm just gonna get, I'm gonna put this on my YouTube. Um, just bear with me here, ladies, please. While I type this up, create a title, Q and A. Uh, this works. Thank you for your patience. Caught me off guard, this guy today. Caught me fucking off guard with this thing. Um, all right. So A lot of times there's a kink that you think you might have that you're really, really afraid of. For example, you know, I think I might be into my dad or I think that I might be into uh, children or something like that. And you have, the, the way that the erotic principle works is like if it's forbidden, you want it more. So if you had a thought that even went by that said, okay, maybe I'm into like fucking my brother or I'm into fucking the bartender at my work or something like that. Because you're saying, oh, no, 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 no. I can't think about that. Better not wink that. I'm going to open Pandora's box. And then I'm going to actually, you know, I'm going to find out that I'm, so it's the fear around the unknown, the fear around your unknown desires. And then when we have big words like pedophile and stuff like that, we create this narrative that like, if I even take one step towards an unknown desire, I'm going to be a pedophile, next stop pedophilia, next stop bestiality. So we won't even let ourselves wank to something that we're curious about because we're so afraid of what will happen. Now, here's the thing. If you were to actually wank, so I was very concerned when I was the mother to Reiner, who's a small boy. Um, I was like so afraid of accidentally like brushing his dick or, you know, touching his dick on accident because like, oh my God, I'm touching baby dicks. I'm a pedophile. And, um, that was in, I was really like, I didn't want to talk about it. And so it was starting to get bigger because I learned things when I talk about it and I learned things when I share it, but like, of course I didn't want to share with the world. Like, am I touching my kid's dick on, you know, on accident or am I actually a pedophile? Now, anybody who has kids will tell you that you can't change a diaper without touching someone's grunt. 
no ways. And my kid runs around naked all the time. You know, like I, if you have kids, you're going to, this is your momness, you know? And thank God when I read the book, Spiritual Midwifery, before I had a baby, the lady says in it, like, and I pinch my kids on the butt every time I change their diaper. So thank God I had one little snippet of an old school lady saying like, you can touch your kids. It's not sexual. You're their mom. You can play with your kids. Like it doesn't mean you're playing with their dick, but like if you want to pinch their butt, if my kid's dick is, if my kid's crawling all over me, his dick's hanging in my face, I'll move it. I'll swat it out of the way. Like let's get the fucking dick out of my face. This is a part of my life as a mom, but I thought all of that was me being a pedophile. And so I knew, okay, there's only one way that I can get to the bottom of this. So I said, okay, fine. If I'm so into kids and I'm worried that I'm into kids, let me try having a wank to my kid and see how that goes. Now, look, this is so scary to do, but I'm telling you, I was persecuted by this thought for so long and because questions are a lot more powerful than answers. So if, if someone says you're a pedophile, go suck a dick. No, I'm not. Because I know that they're telling me an untruth. It reeks like a lie. And therefore I can shut it down right then. And I wrote a newsletter on this a while ago called Ain't Nobody Calling My Baby a Retard. Because here trying to say, oh, I think your kid might be on the spectrum. Now the spectrum's really big. Um, but I'm saying that I think that your kid might be on the spectrum somewhere. And you start asking that question, is my, you know, is my kid autistic? Is there something wrong with my kid? Whereas if somebody, I like the if it's subjective, but I prefer this like old school mentality where it's like, if this was the nineties or the eighties or someone, and someone said, I think your kid's retarded. I'd be like, fuck you. I'm going to beat your ass outside. Don't fucking say this about my kid. What the fuck? When there didn't used to be a spectrum where it's like you are either incapacitated. In, in Spanish, there's a word called babosa. Babosa means like blubbering, like, like unable to perform. Really sucks to be a person that's unable to perform. But yes, it does exist. But if you are able to think, if you are able to communicate, if you are able to, if you like aren't disfigured or handicapped or disabled in that way, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being like, my sister is disabled. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being that kind of a person or that these people shouldn't have as many opportunities as they could possibly have. Although I will say I had a friend who was blind and this is me being an asshole. But when he told me that he was getting his driver's license, I literally like burst out laughing. Horrible, I wish I could take that back for real, but I was like, I don't want a blind person driving on the street. That would be terrible. That scares the shit out of me, homie. Um, I haven't seen this guy in a long time. It's probably because of that reaction. If I could do it over again, I would. But making an accusation on somebody like, I think that you have a learning disability and that you will struggle in life because of this learning disability. If somebody says that you can contest it right away, say, don't fucking call my kid a retard. He's fine. Look at him. Does he look like he has a problem to you? No. But if you ask a question, hey, you know, I think that this kid might need special attention and special this, like, and I think that you should be, you know, considering that this kid might be on the spectrum. You, it's a question. So like every time your kid does something, like my kid gets stuck in a loop. Reiner gets stuck in a loop really easily. 
when he wants something, there is no changing his mind. And a lot of people would call this autistic. Like what happens when you have a kid that just, he's, he wants to watch Paw Patrol. He wants to watch Paw Patrol now. And he could go through a whole fucking melt. If he doesn't get his way, nothing's gonna change his mind. I could correct him. I could give him discipline. I could negotiate with him. We could take like a child shrink approach where we try and talk about feelings or whatever. But this kid, when he's got his mind on something, nothing will change his mind. People say that that's a characteristic of autism. My kid is just fucking stubborn, 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 stubborn. And I'm not even gonna open that door saying, you know, maybe I should get a real expert to look at my kid. This is the same thing with you not talking about the things you're afraid that you might be into. You start to think, shit, maybe there is something wrong with me, but I don't wanna talk to, about it with anybody else. And maybe I am a pervert, but I don't want to talk to it with anybody else about it. But maybe I should wait and hold on to it and let it go bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I'm going to get an expert to analyze me and tell me if I have perversions or not. Or even worse, I'm going to fucking text BetterHelp, which is owned by Facebook, and tell them that I'm afraid that I might be a pedophile. This is the Pandora's box. So if you're afraid that you might be into something sexually, the erotic principle says you can jerk off to whatever the hell you want, no consequences, just because you jerked off it doesn't mean that this is who you are, it doesn't mean that this is what you're into. So I tried to have a wink to my kid, Olaf somewhere is gonna be like <laughs> popcorn emoji, right? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, but I said, okay, like, so let me try and have a wink to this. Well, let me tell you, I could not even create the setting because that's not something that I'm into. And guess what? But I know that I'm not into it. I'm not speculating, am I into it or not? Because that question, am I into this or not, can fester and grow. And it's like it's like something that ferments, like, like anybody that's had candidiasis or you know knows about yeast and sugar, the questions act like, it's like you have this question, am I a pedophile? And then every thought that you have about your kid, like period, every thought that you have about them acts like the sugar for the, for the yeast, like the sugar for the fermentation, which means that it starts going fucking haywire. Every little thought you have, am I into this? And you're not letting, you're repressing it. You're not letting yourself, you're not letting yourself ask questions without, you know, in an attempt to learn more about yourself. You're like so afraid because of shame and so afraid because of the narrative that you're just letting it be bigger and bigger. And then every life instance starts to just contribute to this. And it starts growing into something that you don't feel like you can control, which makes the whole problem worse. Cause you're like, fuck. And here's what they're not telling you about the erotic principle is that one third of you is erotic. So you're never going to be able to repress this part of you because you're never going to be able to go make it go away because it's inherent to you. You have the physical, everyone know their physical? Yeah. You have your spiritual, everyone knows the spiritual, wouldn't be here if you didn't. You also have the erotic and a lot of us don't, and it's equal and it's never going to go away. And the erotic is saying, you know, it always wants something new. And the more taboo something is, the more you're going to want it. So the best thing to do is face it, you know, face it. If you're thinking, 
And, and to, so that's like an extreme thing to act out on, but I'm telling you that shut down what was like persecuting me for a year and a half. Am I a pedophile? Am I a pedophile? I shut that down in one minute in the sauna and I didn't even want to wink to anything else. Like, no, done. That's not something that I meant to. And the book was closed. So if there's something taboo that you are really afraid that you might be into, and you know what I'm talking about, you know, like. For some people, this has been something that's really tormented them. And a lot of times because of porn that they watched in the past, there's a porn agenda that suggests videos for you and makes you feel like, well, you know, you've been watching some really, you know, you thought you were watching maybe like B grade porn, but like actually you're into like level 10 you're a real pervert and we think that you might like those bestiality videos. So we're just gonna scoot it to the top of your feed because if you say, oh my God, I couldn't watch this. It activates the erotic principle for you. If you have, if everything's okay, if you're like, yeah, there's nothing, you jerk off to whatever you want, doesn't mean anything about you, then you don't have repression, you don't have resistance. That thing doesn't pose a threat to you. It just moves right through you like anything else. You wouldn't see one kink as being more extreme than the other. You're just like, oh yeah, whatever. If I meant it, I'll go for it. If I'm not, you know, but that's a big thing that the porn industry has been able to capitalize on is convincing you that you're into things that you're not into. And this really happened. It's why a lot of women have such sex lives. Eating disorder, anyone here ever had an eating disorder? Eating disorders will wipe out your sex life. Um, so if you're like, oh, why am I not having the orgasms that other people seem to be talking about it? Eating disorders probably have something big to do with that if you, if you have an, a history of that. If you do, you know. Um, but porn is another thing and porn, whether you experienced it directly, cause I never watched porn, but my boyfriends all did. And so they fucked me like how they thought chicks like me wanted to be fucked. And I responded with the way that I thought that guys, you know, like I know how to, I didn't even realize that I was faking orgasms really until I was like, started to become pretty bored with sex but I knew how to act more into it than I actually was. And I guess I thought that those was, were, were orgasms. Like, oh, okay, they say, oh, did you come? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so, I'm done with this. So <laughs> I guess I did. Um, and it's amazing what guys will take as a yes, you know, and you know, it's like, you didn't do anything. You went in and out of something. It's like fucking parking a car, like, I, I wouldn't give you a medal for that. I wouldn't give you a medal. This is like, you know, I don't even think sprints are three minutes long. So like, anyways, the erotic is always going to be a part of you. And we talked about like a pretty extreme kink, but a simple kink of like, I want to, maybe I want to have some like new sex. Maybe I want to fuck, you know, my kid's kindergarten teacher or Maybe I want to hook up with my massage therapist or like the person that always makes eyes with me at the grocery store. That person is serving you up some erotic principle, something that says like, hey, homie, new sex. Doesn't that sound cool? New sex. If you've been with your partner for a long time, intimacy starts to thrive, which means that eroticism starts to die because the more you read a book, you, the better you know it, right? And the longer you're with somebody, 
you start to see their little like routines and stuff. Who here knows their partner's shit routine? Like the, the, the yeah, the same shit routine all the time. And so you're like, great. Now that used to be something you didn't know at all about somebody. Although Patrick, the, the first time he came over to my house, he excused himself in the morning, said, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. He took his phone and was gone for, I'm serious, 40 minutes while I'm waiting at the coffee table. Like, is this guy still doing this thing? I couldn't believe it. And he comes out, not like, oh, you know, sorry, I took so long or this excuse for this. I, dude, if I stayed over at a guy's house and I had to shit, I wouldn't care if I wanted to hang out with this guy all the next morning. I'd make up some bullshit about work I had to do in the Uber all the way home and have a fucking attempt to take a shit after holding it in all morning. I probably just missed that shit for the day because I would never be so comfortable as to go have a shit at my new boyfriend's house, not Patrick. So he's always, he's always uh, been very upfront about that. And, uh, and to this day, I can rely on this guy to excuse himself for a 40 minute shit. And in the beginning, I did think that I was like, wow, I can't believe how comfortable like this guy is. And I, I didn't think it drove me a little bit crazy back then. Cause I'm like, dude, 40 minutes out of the day to take a shit. Like, what are you going to accomplish on those terms? Patrick will probably be always Patrick's office should be the bathroom in his life. Cause he probably gets his best ideas in there. Um, but I thought it was cute in the beginning. And I'll tell you that over the last four years in our relationship, I've been like, ah, you have to take a shit now. Like what? We've got things to do. We've got places to go. Um, so, uh, but you used to think it was attractive and now, and now you don't, but all of the intimacy means that the eroticism starts to die because you start to assume that your partner is going to behave a certain way. And that's why you say, okay, I'm not even going to ask him if he wants to take this vacation because I know he's going to say we can't afford it. I'm not this same assumption of how they're going to react. So you don't ask extends to all parts of the relationship, especially the sex life. Now, look, you can love someone more and more each day while killing the eroticism more and more each day. So people find themselves in this predicament of like, I really, really love this person, but for some reason, I can't stop fantasizing about other people. You're not fantasizing about other people. You're fantasizing about new sex. And that doesn't mean that you necessarily want a new partner. It just seems like the only way you'd be able to get new sex is with a new person. This is the erotic principle. So the erotic principle says that you can take the whole world and use it to charge, to re resurrect an old dead thing. And this shit's really sneaky. Like you guys watched me about to control alt delete a whole business that I worked really, really hard on because I just had so many assumptions about my audience, so many assumptions about myself and so many assumptions of what the next four years would, of business would look like based on the last four business, based on the last four years. I'm somebody that's obsessed with the erotic principle and it still is a blind spot for me in a really, really big way. And when I realized, holy shit, like I've had the answer right under my nose this whole time. The reason why I couldn't find it is because I wasn't talking about it. I wasn't, so it was starting to grow bigger and bigger. How can I tell the Bruja report I think I might be over it? You know, like, how do I tell the Brewer Report that I think I might be over it? Because I love the Brewer Report so much. It's the same thing as in a relationship. Same thing as in a relationship. I can love it more and more every day while draining the eroticism, the curiosity 
out of it more and more day by day. And it's really assumptions that do that. So, you know, Patrick and I are obsessed or I'm obsessed with the erotic principle, which means we talk about it in this household all the time, but we've never, you know, it's like, I thought that what I might want to do is open up our marriage. And now I'm thinking what I actually might want to do, not at this moment, trust me, but what I might actually want to do is get married, is actually make a commitment to somebody and have some, has anyone here ever watched Joseph Campbell or any read any Joseph Campbell? Dude, Joseph Campbell, it, he really made me aware that like what I thought was me being just like chill and low maintenance, like I don't really do holidays, don't really do birthdays, don't really do baby showers, don't really do Christmas, don't really do marriage. I had thrown a lot of babies out with the bathwater and white people are culturally malnourished. I would actually say that all races that are born in America are culturally malnourished as well, because like we're in this weird limbo, you know, where it's like, okay, now everybody, like I know so many, I speak Spanish to every person that looks Mexican that I know. And a lot of times they quite clearly respond back to me in English, which is a, yeah, and anybody that is bilingual will tell you like about this interaction where it's like, you go to speak Spanish with somebody and they set a really clear boundary, I'm American, I'm speaking English, this is how we're doing it. Um, you know, a lot of people's grandmas don't speak English, but their moms don't speak Spanish and they don't speak Spanish because their grandparents felt so ashamed about not speaking, that they insisted that their kids completely abandon their native tongue and blend in. So now we're in this weird thing where everyone's saying, okay, well, like connect with your roots, you know, tap back into your roots, um, speak Spanish, you know, learn Diné or go to Africa. And it's like, okay, cool. We want to do that now, but that's not the culture that I grew up in. That's not, and we didn't have significant rites of passage. I didn't have significant rites of passage. My relate, and as a result, like my kids don't really have it either. And I didn't think that this was such a big deal. You know, I thought I was, I thought I was just chill. You know, like I thought I was just chill. But after studying Joseph Campbell, I've watched his whole thing. I forget what it's called, um, but his like main documentary thing. It was on Netflix there for a minute, and I think that you can watch it on YouTube. I really realized that these were significant events that because we never made a point of commemorating. I got my fucking boyfriend, apparently, telling me three minutes before I'm coming on a call that like, yeah, we should get clear about what the lines are in our relationship. What the fuck? I thought we were clear, but I assume that we were clear. We've talked about a lot of things. Um, so I'm, I'm learning a lot every single day. So let's just recap a little bit of that, that erotic principle because we covered a lot of ground. The first thing is that the erotic is an inherent part of you and you, you either acknowledge it or you're repressing it. And society, especially American society, especially anywhere where they even know about the Bible in any way, shape or form, Catholicism the same. They're trying to tell you that the erotic doesn't exist, that the erotic is a result of your failure to repress it, that it's a bad thing, that it's greedy, and that you should try and get rid of it as soon as possible because people that are aware of the erotic will fearlessly 
desire and pursue new things. That means they won't stay in blue collar jobs. That means they won't be obedient members of society. This means that there's nothing that proves the existence more of the erotic than saying like, it feels good to me, so I do it. Can't really explain it in any other way, but like, it feels right. It feels right for me. That is how the erotic works. Now, if you convince people to ignore that and repress it, they will do thing that do things that feel wrong all day long and think that they're doing the right thing. So for example, that was like the, the way that the Bible has disseminated the, the Genesis story is like, if you go after one thing that feels good, then you're going to damn all of humanity from this moment forward. And just so you know, like a little rewrite in, in this, they use the same word when God's like cursing Adam and Eve. Um, they, he tells Adam, you're going to have to work the land. It's going to be, now you're going to have to work to bring forth food. It's not suffering. It's not pain. It's not anything like that. It's a simple Hebrew word that I can't remember right now. And if you want to know more about this, the book, um, Childbirth Without Fear. And on, and on, if you scroll back on the Bruja Report Instagram, there's a post that says like the curse of Eve. Stephanie, maybe if we find it, we can repost that. We'll make a little note. Um, but the origins of the curse of Eve. Well, in Hebrew, they use that same word to describe what bringing children forth is going to be like for Eve. It's going to be work. Anyone here that's ever had a baby will tell you, yeah, and that's only the, the birth is only the beginning of it, but it is work. And in birth, you learn how to seek out the uncomfortable. You learn how to stop sitting there and waiting. Oh, here comes another contraction. I'm going to die. Ah, I'm having a contraction. Ah. You learn that if you want to progress the birth, that you have to, when a contraction comes, be like, yes, sick, a contraction. That's one contraction closer to my baby. And you learn how it's what makes women so strong. You learn how to go seek out something that's like, absolutely full body so painful and to be like yes i'm about this um but they when they translated it they took the same word but translated it for the feminine to mean like in suffering you'll bring forth children and in pain so why is it that for adam the same word means work yeah you're just gonna have to work for it and for eve it means, oh, you're going to be suffering in pain. Every woman for all time that has a baby will suffer in pain. So fuck that shit. But that Genesis story was put there to encourage you to suffer now and enjoy later. So work your whole life at a job you hate so that you can be retired when you're old and crumbly and, you know, great for you. If people, if you can convince people to ignore and repress their erotic, it will lead to them looking for experts in all areas of life. So the people that sell the poison always sell the cure. They won't do something, if something feels right to them, they won't do it, which means their life is gonna start to get really, really shitty, which means that they'll have to hire a lot of help, drink a lot of booze, take a lot of pills to make themselves feel okay with how not okay they are. So that's the erotic principle. If you're concerned that you might have a fetish that's really dangerous, have a wank tip and see how it goes. And I'm not even gonna give you directives past that point because I'm telling you the fear of having a wank to something that you're into, whether it's your own mother or father, whether it's whatever it is, the fear of facing that fantasy 
is enough to keep you from ever doing it. So if you just face the fear, then you can do deal with it. If you find out that you're into it, all right, you know, you're into it. But cross that bridge if you get to it, because you probably won't. And when you're fantasizing about other partners, you're probably, you're, I, I put 90%, you want to have new sex and you're just certain that the only way you can have new sex is with a new person. This will also extend to, to business. I was really convinced that the only way I could have a new business was to, to break up with my old business and start a new one. And, um, and I've learned, I've learned so much during this time. So Stephanie and I have some really cool stuff to bring you on Monday. I don't want to like blow my load or anything like that. But uh, some of you guys saw that I started a new Slack group. So I just wanted to give you a little preview and Stephanie, you as well as to what like the mission is. Um, I really like introducing people to other people. If Instagram had an option where you could like, just go and be like, I just want to be friends with all of your friends. So like, can I just follow everyone that you're following and everyone that you're following, follow me. Um, having a spiritual teacher that you really like in common with other people and caring about your spiritual practice enough to invest in it is such an asset. And I've always, Hey Rhonda, Hey Rhonda, hun, how you, hun? You look, hey, how you doing? Um, are you still afraid of getting? You still afraid of getting art as an unmarried unmarried woman, or how you doing with that? Afraid of what? I have my mute on. I'm sorry. Oh, you're good. Geez. Tell me. Oh, hang on. I Wait, have music on too. Give me one second because I want to hear what you're going to say. But I have. I, I have music playing somewhere that I don't know about. I just opened the Pandora's box of, okay, cool. We got that. Okay, good. Tell me. Tell you, what was the question? I, I Well, you look a lot better since the last time I saw you. You look a lot better since the last time I saw you. How's that? Um, yeah. you, you, you told me a while ago that you had some fears about your safety in regards to, you know, being assaulted or raped or something. Yeah. I don't really have that anymore. Like I, there's a few things, but I don't really, yeah, I just sort of, I don't know. I feel protected in a way and I don't know, maybe it's, I've been doing a lot of praying or, but not even just around that. It's not like I'm praying, like, please don't let this happen to me. Just don't let me get um, Yeah, it's not, I have, you know, it's just, uh, just around other things. And I think after I was just so, I kind of went to that space where <clears throat> I've heard you say it before, like seek out pleasure. Mm -hmm. And so I've just been like doing that, you know, I've like, yeah, I just feel like I've been doing that. I had like some great sex, you know, hey, honey. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so. Serena, right. You guys met up in New York. Yeah. Yeah, we isn't met up in New York. A, isn't she a trip? <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. Like we had such a great time. And um, I remember just like one part, we went to dinner and we were talking. And then I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, I can see into this person's soul. Like I am diving in. It was like so amazing. And yeah, so I, I do feel a lot better. That I do have my moments, but I, I feel a lot better. Oh me. Yeah. So happy, so happy to hear that. Um, so something is that's why I'm happy you're here. I'm just gonna put you on mute. Um, Serena texted me after, so she went and met up with you. And Serena is a child, she's been on Brew Report for a long time. She, um, but her and I have known each other for a really long time. She went out with my brother for like four years, but her and I were friends before that. And um 
she texted me or no, she called me actually after. So she met up with you and then she met up with Mary Margaret, Sarah and someone else. They all met, they all met up at Mary Margaret's house in Maine. And she called me afterwards and she said, you know, you got a lot of gifts, but like I've gone and met up with all these people from Brewer Report and I've had such a good time. And you're really, really good at putting people together. And I've actually like always been told this about my about myself. And it was something that I learned as a bartender um, because everybody used to come to the bar and want to talk to me. And it would be spreading me so thin to, you know, this person, this person, you know, you've got a bar. It's like a one-way thing. All these people looking at me, everybody wanting to talk with me. And I was like, I, so I would introduce people to other people. And I do like a seating chart at the bar. You come here and sit next to this person, throw a conversation prompt. And then they would start to like the bar as opposed to just me. And it took a lot of pressure off of me. I was able to handle more customers and they were having a good time because they made friends. And, um, I introduced Serena to a guy too, but I'm not going to say anything or I'm not going to say anything more about that because it's personal. Uh, but I, but she did a whole, uh, tour meeting all kinds of people and a lot of women from Bruja report. And she said that it was just, she's like, I've just to be able to hang out with somebody and feel like I already knew them. She's like, it felt really, really, really good. And so I wanted to, this is a part of my magic that I really wanted to share with other people. Um, so what it's going to look like, and we'll talk more about this on Monday. So if you have questions related to like how this is going to look, uh, we'll, we'll do that on Monday, unless there's specific questions about this in, in, in the Q and a thread, um, which I'm going to have to get through fast because we've been talking, but what it's going to look like is the study study group. So it used to be that, like, I would put work out on social media and people would kind of be left to absorb it on their own, but for the free tier, instead of having like Instagram as my community or YouTube as my community, I'm going to have a private Slack as my community and anybody who uh, is on Slack like you might find that you want to be in all of these different groups, which is fine. The reason why I chose this is because it's pretty easy to navigate. Like if you swipe left, you can see all the, the Slack groups that you're on. Um, but Safe House is going to be where people study together the weekly newsletter that I put out. It's co-ed. You can chat with anybody on there. You can, uh, and you're more than welcome to join. There's a link in my Instagram bio for that. But if you, uh, my newsletter list will be a better place to sign up for, to sign up for that. So uh, just wait, just, just wait or you're whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, I don't want to get, I, I don't want to have a tech call right now because my, my brain will start doing the thing. Um, so, so everybody will be, instead of just sending out a newsletter and leaving people to their own to like digest it, I'm going to introduce people to each other start to let them see what other people who are fans of my work look like, other people who take their spiritual practice really seriously, not enough to invest in it, but enough to be in a specific place dedicated to that. They'll have prompts from what used to just be a free newsletter that was also left to you to digest. There'll be prompts so that people can work with that together as a group. For Bruja Report, everybody in this group was studying workshops that are specific to like 
building a business, starting a business, growing it from zero to half a million dollars, which is at the point where I really felt like I needed to get some new tools, new mentors and hang out with new people. Um, everything to do with the spiritual side of that, everything to do with the launching and business side of that and Empress Academy, everything to do with the money blocks and breaking broke, everything to do with starting the business and how to start a business from scratch, as well as like um, just all of the resources and friendship on the way type of things that Bruja Report has offered over the years, the Q&As, the archives, weird little lectures on random, on random things like kinks and understanding dreams, all of the little projects and stuff we've done in the past, the Bruja Report will be where people can study this together. And um, is what Stephanie and I will talk about on Monday is like how that's going to look and what the experience is going to be like for you. And then at the higher level, which is where I'm going to be spending. I'm, I'm in the safe house group right now, starting the culture and anybody that will build masterminds in the future, just like making a sourdough starter, you need to go in and start the culture. Once you get everybody talking, once you get the vibe, you can leave and do something else. Um, it'll only take a little bit of you every night. It'll keep going. The fermentation will continue because you were there in the beginning, building the culture. This isn't something that I would breeze over. I've read a lot of books. I have a lot of experience with this, but defining the culture of your company and defining the culture of your different groups is a significant rite of passage. And then where I'm going to be spending my live time will be at a, at a higher tier where I'm doing these group workshops with people. Um, Fuckless is a passive workshop that'll be, I'm not really sure. Um, it's what I'm talking more about is this workshop I'm doing next, which is called Erotic Wealth, which is going to be a group coaching thing with live calls and me there and working through it all live. Um, but what it's probably going to look like is just a, a more expensive subscription tier, almost like Bruja Report, um, where I have like the first workshop I'm doing is Fuckless, the next workshop I'm doing is Erotic Wealth, the next workshop I'm doing this. So it'll be scheduled things. And it's kind of, uh, I'm excited about it. This has been a lot of trial and error. It'll continue to be a lot of trial and error. It's something that I've been praying about for a really long time, but the feedback that I've gotten from people about like what my gifts are, um, this is, it's really Bruja Report that has helped me grow as a teacher that has let me see like the range of what it is that I can teach and where my gifts really are. And I'd love to say that like, you know, that's a result of the spiritual work that I've done, but really what it is, is like the, the receptivity with which you guys have all met me and allowed me to show up and fuck up publicly and say, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, being able to be in this space and be myself in this space is, has been the most significant contributor to my growth. And you're going to make a lot of crappy work in the beginning of your career. And the only way to like get through the crappy work is to make it and release it and get it out. And you can't like do this, like you have to make it and release it and get it out. Authors will look back at their first book and say, oh my God, what, I, what was I thinking? Designers will look back at their first collection and say, oh my God, what was I thinking? But then after a certain amount of time, you're like, I was on 
to something back there. I was like, so you'll be mortified of your first work, of your first clients, of your first yoga class, no matter what it is. You're going to make a lot of crappy work in the beginning. There's no way of getting around that. You just have to make it and get it out. Um, but because I was able to do this here with people that never said, oh, why is your camera so shitty? Or why are you always so distracted? Or why do you smoke weed? Or why do you not smoke weed? Or why are you doing this? Or like no one has ever, I, I, I've dealt with very little criticism. And when I have, it's people that were like really unhappy anyway. And I knew that. So I just want to say that like as a whole, Bruja Report has been my greatest support. And without you, I really wouldn't be here. So I want to say thank you to each and every one of you on this call whether you're new to Bruja Report, old to Bruja Report, thank you for cheering me on because I literally wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for your support. Um, and I'm looking forward to bringing you guys more and more value here while also, you know, the, the conflict I was holding is like, how can I lead by example and show people that the sky is the limit when it comes to growth while also holding space for people that are in a really significant part of the journey, which is starting that business, growing that business, and then scaling the business is a totally different language, totally different tools. Like you don't really want to learn how to manage a team if you can't even afford to hire one assistant. It's a totally different language. But I, before I understood that like, man, my business is suffering from the erotic principle. I thought that the only, that the only way I could run a new business and an old business at one time was to like kill the old and start a new one. And I'm just so, thank you so much for letting me be like, I need to take a month off. I know there's something here. I don't know what's going on. It's been such a help. I'm not laughing at you. All right, let's do these questions and answers as soon as possible. Um, but do, 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 do. let me go back. Okay, we'll go into October. I'm trying to understand this in different terms from the anatomy of the Solfa 96 is a coat of protection. Oh, I actually answered this for her. So Fa96, this is not a quick answer, but Fa96 is the hydrogen of resilience. So in the fourth way, it's a mathematical equation for anything. If you wanna wake up, you need to activate your higher emotional and higher mental centers, which takes an excess of a hydrogen called, called uh, what is it, Fa, so 48. You need a lot of that. Now, we're not going to go into this right now, because, but for the fourth way nerds, the second, the first fourth way lesson that I'm teaching is going to be an objective awakening. So let's just enlighten you. Let's just get you to the point of enlightenment. We'll do that first because everything else will be easier. When you're awakened or enlightened at the first level, you don't have to, it, it, you have something called deputy steward, which make, basically makes sure that the four angry arguing brothers that make up your mind all get along. So instead of you having to be there in person, be like, no emotional center, you get back in line. No, stop negative fantasies over there. No, stop staying in a state of tension at all time. You have something, a specific crystallized fine substance in your mind that makes that is a deputy deputy steward that makes sure all of these people are doing the right things. So it's specific things we're trying to achieve. We're not trying to achieve like, oh, I would really like to have 
an intuition. It's like, okay, well, the first thing that we can get you is objective reason and impartiality. And that's basically the, the, the best first step we can get, which means that when you ask for an answer, you'll get it and you'll stop asking questions on top of that because the mind, because the deputy steward is making sure that your intellectual center doesn't keep going, but why, but why, but why, but why? Or your emotional center says, that wasn't the answer I wanted and I'm never gonna be happy. You know, like it makes sure it, it allows new work that you're coming in to be processed correctly. So what FA96 is, is the hydrogen of resilience. And to say this in super mundane terms, your food, you know, you're, you can't think when you're hungry, but your brain doesn't eat cheeseburgers. So there's an octave or an Enneagram that food has to go to, to go from being like food for your mouth to food for your brain. Now, the point in which um, most digestion stops where a shock is necessary to keep it going, um, the point where the digestion system would usually get stopped is in the emotional center, which takes place in the gut. And what this means is that if you eat in a bad mood, you will not be digesting your food completely, which is why if you're gaining a lot of weight, it's because you probably are living a lifestyle that's sad and you don't wanna address it. So you're convinced that you're like, the overarching theme of your life has been sadness or you know depression. Therefore, everything that you put into your body when you're living a depressed life is going to poison you in some way because the food's not going and you don't have any ideas because your brain's not eating. So to build FA96, never eat in a bad mood. And a lot of us reach for food when we're stressed or when we're feeling shame or something like that. So like really trying to, I get this question, uh, more frequently than I expect is people are like, well, what do I eat if I don't eat, feel like eating anything? Don't eat anything. Literally don't eat anything. You'll go through phases in your life where you wanna eat more and you wanna eat less. Your body knows, your body knows how to balance all of these things out. But FA96, when you, if you always eat in a good mood, you'll have like an envelope around you that keeps you immune to all diseases, that keeps you healthy, that keeps, and if you make sure the same is true for your family, not forcing your family to eat in bad moods, like you won't have this issue either. So that's what FA96 is. It's, it's, it's resilience and immunity comes from a specific place, a specific hydrogen called FA96, and you get this by never eating in a bad mood. The caveat here is that you, your life just might be really depressing right now. And you don't want to acknowledge that. I used to tell you, you got to go to good grief and do seven weeks of grief recovery, but my book Painkillers is coming out so soon, one 30 minute page and, uh, and you'll be good. Uh, but you can do, you, you get 55 sheets in the workbook. So you'll feel good after doing one. Just keep, try and fill the whole book up. Starting to get a content and a course together, feelings on Podia versus Kajabi versus Gumroad. Short answer, I'm doing Kajabi going forward just because I've had, I'll give you the shortest answer. The best people I know in the industry use Kajabi. I've put it together with, you know, I've been like the guinea pig on other platforms. Podia has put some serious glitches 
into my, Podia has given me some serious glitches and have made basically no apology of, about it, didn't give me a refund, didn't say anything was gonna change. And the reason I will never make this mistake again, I let somebody re recommend a platform to me that I didn't know anything about. I was thinking Kajabi, but they said, oh no, let's do this. Um, big mistake. I think there's a lot of value in knowing your platforms. So Stephanie is a Kajabi, so Kajabi wizard. I don't know how to do Kajabi at all. So part of the scale for me is realizing, wow, if Stephanie weren't a part of my company, I'd be totally fucked because I wouldn't know how to do Kajabi by myself. Well, this is an example of like being at a higher level is like, all right, I have employees that I have a responsibility to, therefore I cannot fail, therefore I cannot get lazy, therefore I have to make it work. What starts and then, you know, you think that that's a big deal after that is having a fiscal opportunity. Like what if your business goes public? Well, that you have a responsibility to the shareholders. So more and more people will depend on you the higher up you go and, uh, and learning how to honor that and keep that in mind is really important. Um, but if you're doing things yourself, I would, I would say, go and look at a lot of other people's websites, a lot of other people's courses and figure out which one you like the best. I built my first website on something called Weebly and because nobody had heard of that, I was like, oh, I'm so ratchet, I'm so bad. And when I needed to scale, I said, okay, let's just go on to Squarespace. But Squarespace is literally so hard. And um, when I considered building my website again myself, I was going to use Weebly again because I built, my, I built my whole website on my phone from Asia because the Weebly app was so simple to use, so easy to change the themes. I could redesign it anytime that I wanted to. So uh, look at what the people that are excelling in your field are using, but also like, what does your budget allow? What is your, when I first started selling workshops, like you can use MailChimp to sell workshops if you wanted to. Um, when, I, when Breaking Broke first launched, it was a membership page on my website. So like if someone brought Breaking Broke, and I'd see the money go through, I'd have to like run to my laptop and manually admit them into the, uh, into the workshop. That was like the main thing. Stephanie, did you ever do that? How to do? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so sweet. Thoughts on finishing one thing versus creating multiple things at once. So that's such a good question. I, I'm now realizing that my cre when I'm doing small things, I can do one workshop at a time. Okay, I'm gonna do a fourth way workshop. I'm gonna start it, I'm gonna build it, I'm gonna launch it, I'm gonna finish it, and then I'm gonna move it passive. Um, right now, when I'm going through a very significant change, and if you read your tarot cards, you know, if you're getting a lot of major arcana cards, this is probably a pretty significant life situation. But if it's a pretty significant life situation, trust me, you're going to know because it's going to feel like your whole life is raking down. And you're like, what do I do? Um, so when it comes, it's, I've been in a, I've been working on many different projects at once for this whole year. Um, the downside is that I haven't really had any instant gratification of being able to like launch this right away. Um, but the upside is that when I reveal my website, you guys are going to be like, holy shit, because I've got like five books, five workshops, a whole new thing, a whole new system. And it's like, bam. 
So uh, the first time I was doing this, I didn't know that I worked like a, like a firework, you know, where it's like a little bit here and a little bit there. I really wanted to work like a laser, but that wasn't the option available for me at that time because I was transforming. I was revealing like a whole new version of myself. So stick to this rule. Whatever it is that you're inspired about working on is the best possible thing that you could be working on. If you're inspired about it, do it. Don't force yourself to go. And the, the video that you can watch on this is is in how to start a business from scratch the inspiration one super super solid objective would love any insight into testimonials testimonials are so so useful um they're so so useful because people will it's good for you to hear um you're probably able to hold on to criticism for a really long time but compliments you're like what really um but testimonials help other people to see that it worked and my favorite way to get testimonials is in a casual way, because when you ask people, hey, could you give me a testimonial? They usually like write some big thing up. They take a long time to get it back to you. I just use always anonymous screenshots for, of, of unsolicited praise. Now, it took me a while to like, be cool with this because I was like, would I want somebody to do this to me? You know, is it weird? Should I ask them first? Every time I was asking somebody for permission, it would take me so long to get a yes or no. And then they try and rewrite it and give me something else. And it wouldn't have the same vibe. So I figured that if everybody always saw me posting screenshots from text, but anonymized everything, um, that they would understand that that's just how I do things. So but super useful. And on Wheels Reinvented, I say always, always, always get testimonials from people um, because it, especially if you're doing one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I remember Bandry saying something like she increases the price of her coaching sessions every two customers. Yes. Something that you should know is that I is that it's pronounced Bandry. And, um, and that's going to be my band name. All of these names will find their way into my life at some point. Like, but oh, I just, I feel like such a different person, you know, I was like, I really need a new name. Like I need people to see that it, this is not me anymore. But I sent a gift out to my friend Remington, who's having a bit, his, his girlfriend's having a baby. And uh, I didn't know who I did change my name so many times. I wasn't sure who I had addressed it from or to or whatever. So I said it you get my package and they say oh no and then they're like oh nami <laughs> I say, oh yeah that's me <laughs> um but something that you should know is that every two customers is like a whole year of coaching clients for me so not just like onboarding a coaching client but actually going through the whole process with them and then asking them afterwards you know what was this worth to you and everything like that so it's you know for coaches that are like pretty diesel about one-on-one -on -one, they take two clients every single month um but the i actually didn't work with the coach one time because she was like well my price is going up at midnight so if you want to lock in this at this savings you better do it now and I just told her, honestly, I was like, listen, when I've raised my prices, it's a holistic thing. It's not just like a number that I'm changing around. I've changed my values change. And when I change my prices, the last thing I want to do is go sell a bunch of my time at a reduced rate when I've grown past it. So no, um, I take my pricing really, I take my pricing really seriously. And it's always reflective of like how much I've invested in it not necessarily what I think is like logical growth. So for example, like I've doubled my prices in coaching a lot in the past and doubling my prices would be going from 20 grand to 
40 grand, but I haven't taken any clients in between that place. So even though if I was following like the years, how much I've done up until now, um, it would be time for 40 grand. I haven't taken any clients in a really long time. So I would charge 30 grand, but honestly, I really don't think that I don't think that I'm the best coach at all. You know why? I provide such a service. Like I will not stop until you get the results that you want. Now, if I undercharge for that and I feel like I've overextended myself and I catch one little complaint, I say, oh, fuck you. Okay, fine. Let's do this by the book and let's be done with it. And then if I've charged appropriately for it, I am like, I find myself in a situation where I care more about some, it makes it really hard for me when people don't take my advice. Um, it makes it really hard for me when people don't take my advice. I've worked with a really, really great one-on-one -on -one coach and that's all she does as her business, Chella Davison. She's so, she's the best coach in the world. I cannot be the best one-on-one -on -one coach in the world. I'm designed, and she could never do group teaching the way that I do, but I'm just not going to do one-on-one -on -one coaching anymore unless the person has a whole team that I can coach with them that are doing huge things in the world. Um, as much as I love to do it, as much as I love that experience, I can't be the best at it. And if I can't be the best at it, I'm just not going to do it. Understanding what you can't be the best at is really important. Just as important as knowing what you can be the best at. And this is something we're going to do in erotic wealth. All right, speed. Yay, we're doing all of these. Karate, do you and Patrick have recommendations on getting started and what to look for in a karate class? Um, I literally don't. Patrick has taught um, martial arts to kids for a long time, but he uh, it wasn't really like the, the greatest place. Um, right now with like all the COVID weirdness and stuff, I don't know if that's going on where you are, but I'm going to be just teaching. I, I want to teach like a fake ballet class to kids for kids that don't want, aren't trying to have fucking eating disorders and get into an industry. That's like really ruthless. that just want to dance like a ballerina that want to play ballet. Basically, you know, it'd be like, does a kid want to have a tea party or learn like chadao, you know, tea ceremony. They want to have a tea party. So I want to teach like ballet party and karate party. Um, Juju is about to come on here with Patrick. We're just going to switch because it's on the same number. Um, so Patrick is going to be here getting his human design reading. And Stephanie will just make sure that when we release these videos that we split it up for people. Um, Stacy has this, and I don't think it's a question. Okay, cool. Would love to hear me chat about my creative process on the next Q&A. Um, the best place to learn about, don't learn about my creative process, learn about your creative process. The best place to do this is the Anya module of Wheels Reinvented and the Anya part of the workbook of Wheels Reinvented. That'll be available for sale on Amazon again too. I'm just cleaning up some of the typos about it. And, um, but the best way to learn your creative flow is to look back on your history uh, but all of this is really clearly outlined in the Anya module of Wheels Reinvented and really clearly outlined in the workbook. And Stephanie, what I think that we, we can talk about this more, but what I think would be cool on Wheels is because Wheels was always given to Bruja Report at a really reduced rate. I think it would be cool if we didn't have it available all the time, but like one, like every December, 
Wheels Reinvented is available for just, you know, two months or three months or whatever on Brew Her Report. And you can't get it any other way. Like, or, you know, or people could buy it for two grand, but just three months out of the year, it's available on Brew Her Report, everyone doing it together. Because it is really good, but I'm never teaching that fucking workshop again, ever. The end, never. No one ever gets to hear my childhood stories again, <laughs> ever. And, um, but the video quality is always going to be what it was. So, uh, so there, we have lots of cool stuff coming up for Brewer Report, and I really look forward to talking with you guys about that on Monday. Jujana, hello. I'm going to go get Patrick, and, uh, <laughs> and I'll see you guys later. Thank you so much for being here, and I'll see you on Monday. Um, if you have any ideas for Brewer Report, we do care, um, and we'll see you for that on Monday. All right. Patrick, my...